getting and staying in counseling was one of the more challenging and heaviest seasons of my life. One of the biggest battles was realizing the excuses I made for my parents weren't exactly fair to me. Let me explain. I truly have incredible parents. I will never fault them for the way they are. But they, just like me, have limited resources and lived experiences that made them approach adulting and parenting whatever lens they had, which meant that they made mistakes, not because they were bad, but because they were human. When you come from an immigrant family, or maybe any family, I'm just speaking from my experience, you want to give your parents the benefit of the doubt. And in the home I grew up in, I believed in my parents as larger-than-life people, people who I put on pedestals, who I believe knew better than anyone, definitely more than me. And I never, ever challenged that belief. The first time I ever did wasn't counseling, which is crazy because I was like 26. It's much easier to say your parents are awful and fucked you over than to actually take the meaningful and effortful time of grieving what happened to your life that made you who you are. I am a people pleaser. I am hypervigilant and I am constantly striving because my parents use guilt, manipulation, and nagging to get me to get in line. Did they know it was those things? I don't really know. Do you think they experienced these things in their childhood? Hell to the app. It is extremely important to me to use my adult life to do things differently because I have the privilege of resources, time, and quite frankly, the gumption to do better. But most of us won't even create the space to begin grieving what we had, didn't, or wished for so we can become the adults we want to be. And that's really not fine, is it? Hey, I'm Rachel, and this is the It's Fine Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Elaine Evans, a trauma-informed therapist committed to bringing peace to the past and confidence to the present. On this episode, we'll talk about what grief looks like, especially in moments of transition. Why grieving is important, especially for your inner child. We'll also talk about what the inner child is, by the way. Why we might want to check ourselves before we start confronting people for all the bad things they did to us. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Could you define grieving and what that looks like when you're working with a counselor? Commonly, when people think about grief, they think about like a loss of some person. So oftentimes the death of someone. And so we think of grief as like a period of three months to a year where you're really mourning the loss of someone. And for some people, that's true. And that's how it works. But I think grief is really more of a process that's just part of the human experience that everybody has, regardless of if there's been a loss of a loved one. So grief would really just be the effect of a transition or change, the loss of something, even if there's a good transition, such as graduating from college, right? That's a good transition. And yet there's the loss and the grief of maybe the carefree nature that someone had in college or those friendships. And so it's hard to define grief because there's a lot of things that could know spur on the experience of grief but I would define it as an emotional process of moving through transition or change I definitely saw grief as what you described initially which is like 
somebody dies, you lose a pet, like something really awful happens and then you have to grieve. There's so much rhetoric around like grief being complicated and all of that, but it's always something really dramatic, typically devastating, right, that we have to grieve through. I feel like when we think about those events that you mentioned, right, graduating from college, potentially getting married, moving through transitions in life, that grief would even be a part of that because the typical kind of thought is that you're transitioning, right? Like that's a good thing. Like you're graduating from college, you're getting married, you're moving to a new place and like you should be just like on to the next. Why do you think it's important to grieve through different transitions? Totally. I think a lot of it comes down to difficulty being with difficult emotions, that being in grief isn't necessarily pleasant. It is productive. It is important. But I think a lot of us struggle to feel comfortable being in that space of something's negative or unpleasant and just letting it be. I think there's a natural tendency to relieve pain and that makes a lot of sense. And yet when we don't acknowledge the pain that's there, it's almost like if you get an open wound that you don't attend to, your body's going to move towards closing up that wound. But if it hasn't been cleaned out appropriately, it's going to get infected and often lead to further problems. And so grief and making space to feel that grief, whether it's through a loss or a transition, is the act of like taking a look and seeing at what was there and letting yourself process through whatever comes up in that loss and in that grief. And doing that helps us to move into the next season with a bit more clarity when we don't grieve, sometimes we carry with us like a resentment or a bitterness that then impacts what we do in the future. And so a lot of clients that I work with maybe experience grief in their childhood trauma processing when they realize, oh, this is what I needed and I didn't get that. And the byproduct of that realization oftentimes is going to be grief. And if I don't make room to allow that, I might hold some bitterness or resentment that's going to impact how I then relate with whoever was involved in that or relate to parenting or relationships. And so it's a process of just allowing ourselves to be the full experience of human and connect with what's there. I didn't realize that there was so much I hadn't grieved, both in just like the way that I grew up and, you know, how I experienced my childhood, but also just in like you mentioned all these different transitions and seasons of life. The most traumatic or dramatic season of transition, which for me was transitioning from being a very single person to a very married person. And that happened very quickly for me. I married nine months. I saw myself jumping into marriage and in my relationship and having a lot of just unresolved frustration, anger, and resentment towards my partner that I didn't totally understand why I was behaving that way. And like at that point, I had no idea that was a lack of grief, right? And a lack of self-compassion. I didn't get that. I wanted to approach it as like, how do I fix this problem? Like, how do I fix the fact that I'm so angry right now? What it took for me to realize that I needed to get help from somebody was that I saw I was hurting my partner. Like, this inability to process all of this unresolved, bottled up feelings from, quite frankly, many transitional seasons where I didn't grieve, right? It was directly impacting my ability to like love on my partner in a way that was like kind and empathetic. And mm -hmm. so I guess when folks come to you, right, how do you help them understand like, I think you need to grieve. Like, I think it is time for you to reflect. To be honest with you, like, it took like several sessions with me and my therapist at the time to even 
fathom the idea of making space for grief, to even think about what that concept was. Yeah, I think a lot of people similar to you and even as a therapist myself, oftentimes if I'm processing through or feeling something and like I'm just stuck. Like sometimes I'm not aware that, hey, there's some grief there that I haven't maybe made space for or honored or acknowledged. I just think it's not super common to think about what we're feeling and label it as grief. And so oftentimes in working with clients, I won't come out the gate and say, hey, you have unprocessed grief you haven't become aware of. But it's more about, hey, when you think about this story, whether it's a present day story that the client is sharing or something in the past, what are you feeling with that? I might just approach it more around the emotions involved in grief rather than labeling it as grief, because sometimes that won't land for folks or they'll they'll respond better to the feeling of loss or sorrow or sadness. I think that part of what's really important about being able to grieve for ourselves is that it opens us to be available to people in our lives sharing with us that if I'm avoiding my own grief, my own loss, and I haven't made space to be with that pain in a way that's supportive, right? I'm going to react it to other people who are showing up with their grief. And I'm not going to be able to hold space for them or connect with them because presence of their grief is going to activate my defenses to like not go to my grief. So I think you highlight a really important point that our grief work is ultimately for us, but also that translates into our relationships. That's oftentimes sort of the impetus for when people start to look inward is, oh, this is actually impacting a lot of my relationships. Yeah. What does unprocessed grief look like to you? Like in terms of what you've seen clients come with? Like I talked a little bit about for me, it was a relational challenge, right? I didn't understand why I was behaving the way I was. And I didn't understand why, how I was behaving was hurting the person in my life. Yeah, I think it could either present as like a resentment or bitterness. So on the one hand, like this person might know that there's a lot of upset, but it's staying in this place of anger, which is going to keep others at a distance. Or it could be on the flip side of that of, hey, things are fine nothing's wrong, like things were all right. Yeah, it was a big thing, but like it's fine. And sometimes people, when they do process their grief, they can get to a really grounded place of being like, I am okay. Yeah. Moving forward. But there's just an energy to, nope, I've decided like I'm not addressing that. And so if someone has a difficult time connecting to like what they feel and sharing their experience from an authentic place of feeling, that can be an indication of unprocessed grief. Difficulty setting boundaries a lot of times has to do with resisting the grief that would happen if that relationship shifts to be more distant and the pain of processing that change and the change in identity that can have for a lot of folks. So a lot of it does show up in relationships, but also how people treat themselves, typically like a lack of compassion and being really hard on themselves Mm -hmm. can be evidence of difficulty grieving or unprocessed grief. The biggest thing that creating space for grieving did for me was it allowed me to see that like, to your point, it's not all my fault, right? Mm -hmm. When things are bad or situations were not a certain way or the outcome didn't happen the way I expected or thought it was, grieving allowed me to create a lot more space for gray, which is not an experience that I had in my own kind of upbringing, right? Everything was black or white. It was either you're right or you're wrong. You did something bad or you didn't. 
And grieving really offered me the opportunity to see the gray in all of that, whether that be the people involved, my role in it, right? The circumstances of those roles, right? And allow myself to be able to say, okay, I have to grieve all of those things. Like I wasn't given the resources to be able to tackle this specific challenge or my family didn't have the resources or like only did what they could with what they had. Mm -hmm. I feel like that to me is like the most powerful part of grief is understanding that like you aren't the problem. Like, I feel like that's like a funny thing that people say now. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm the problem, like the Taylor Swift thing, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's what grief ultimately allows us to do as we transition through probably what we feel are like boring, not relevant. I feel like not enough people are making space for like their experiences and the fact that we have to grieve, even if they were like silly to you, right? Because I don't think anyone's life experience is silly, but like things that might not have been ideal in your life. As you were talking, I was reminded of this quote and I can't remember where it comes from, okay. but it talks about like pain in life is inevitable, uh, but the resistance to that reality or the denial of that reality is where we experience suffering. Mm. And so in grief, we're acknowledging, hey, this is the reality that was here and I'm going to stop resisting it because that creates a suffering, but just acknowledge things should have been different. I needed different. People are coming in and they have a present day issue, whether it's at work and they're feeling like super unfulfilled or they're in a relationship that's not quite going how they want it to, or they just get this sense that like, hey, I'm not really connected and aligned inside. A lot of that is old strategies we've learned from childhood, then bubbling up to deal with whatever's in the present. And so if in my family environment, there was a nature of competition and kind of achievement to be seen or to be heard, and then I'm finding in my friendships, I don't feel quite connected. It could be because I've learned to be seen in a way that is trying to be above others. And we can try and create some shift just in the present. But a lot of times, if we don't actually go back to the root and be with like, where did this start? And particularly what pain did this start with? oh, I felt unseen or I felt like I wasn't enough for just being. If I can be with that and grieve that, it gives my inner child what we would call a corrective experience mm. that I get to recognize, hey, that wasn't right. I needed something different. I needed to be seen. I needed to be enough. I needed to be delighted, delighted in just for being. And I didn't have that experience maybe with the context of what was going on. And so acknowledging that reality of what should have been and then allowing that inner child, if you will, to release the grief that it's been carrying for so long and say, oh, that's not mine to own anymore. That was my reality in the situation that I was in. But I actually have options now. I can choose to relate differently. I can handle this differently. I can know my worth differently. I can get my needs met differently. But if we can't acknowledge the original pain, then we don't quite know what it is that we need to create that shift. Can you tell me a little bit about the inner child, just generally speaking, right? I'm sure if you've never heard that before, that probably sounds really kooky. Who is this inner child that we're talking about? So there is a whole psychotherapy approach that's called internal family systems, IFS. Are you familiar with it? I am, but our listeners might not be. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's the idea, like in a family, everybody has a different role and a different function. And the idea within an internal family system is that within myself, I have different parts of me that function for me in different ways. Different parts of me hold the pain that I've experienced in the past. And we would call those exiles. There are different parts of me that 
protect those exiles or manage those exiles. And so if there's something in my present that's going to activate an old wound, a protective or manager part of me will employ a strategy. Maybe that's people pleasing. Maybe that's performance. Maybe that's depression or anxiety in some form. And then we have this core self. And the self might be most akin to what people would think of higher self or connection to the divine. And so this approach, a way of thinking about ourselves is really well integrated with spirituality, just using different language. I don't know that I so much believe that we actually have different people inside as much as the concept of, hey, I have very different parts of me inside that manage life in different ways. And sometimes that can feel like self-sabotage. There can be a part of me that is trying to protect me from pain so much that it's choosing something that it ends up being unproductive, whether that's overspending or drinking too much or canceling last minute or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't actually create change until I understand the wound that part of me is protecting. Yeah. Implementing a budget, I need to figure out like, hey, what am I feeling right before I'm doing that? And likely my inner child is holding some bit of pain that it feels overwhelmed with, that it doesn't know what to do with. And so that's sort of what we're getting at with an inner child is really taking a look at, in my lived experience, were the wounds that haven't yet been healed or released. Yeah. And I think most of us want to go straight to the solution, right? Like most of us want to say, okay, like I keep spending money aggressively. It's time to set a budget. It's time to stop doing whatever I'm doing. But ultimately, I think to your point, and I and it's something I, I think I've learned in my adult life too, is sometimes you need to know why and you need to, to your point, grieve those original wounds. I grew up in a family where I had to constantly protect and understand the emotions of the people around me, particularly my parents. I had to be more emotionally aware. And oftentimes think of yourself when you're like five, six, seven, eight. Do you really know what your parents are feeling unless they explicitly say it to you? And one of the outcomes of that is that I'm extremely hypervigilant, like to a fault. Like I am constantly thinking about, okay, I did this specific thing. Like, what is this person thinking about? Or like, how is this person feeling? Oh, this person is probably feeling X, Y, Z because I did this and that. And this Mm -hmm. hypervigilance that makes me not accept people for the words that they say and like the situations that they're in, right? Like I constantly am overthinking a scenario. And in some ways, I actually thought that was one of my strengths, that I can see things from so many different angles. But one of the things that I'm learning as an adult and one of the things that I am striving for in identifying that that's like a core wound of mine, that like I had to play this role where I had to pacify people's emotions and people's needs and and try to understand things that I probably didn't need to understand that now knowing that I'm able to know that like I need to take people for their word. When they tell me something, I have to trust that what they're saying is the truth, right? And if they are willing to allow me in and have created space for me, they will let me know how they feel rather than trying to adjust and contort and manipulate myself into figuring out something that they don't, they didn't necessarily tell me that they need. Once you identify a core wound or something like that, one, how do you identify it? And then like, how do you grieve? What does grieving even look like when you've identified that wound? Our process to getting there starts with honoring first our, what I'm calling protective parts or managers. So the part that I'm showing up and I'm saying, hey, this is the problem. I'm 
people pleasing or I'm hypervigilant. The process starts with being with that part and honoring the work that part has done and saying, oh, you're a good part of me. You've gotten me through that situation. And there are good things about being able to assess and feel into a situation and just intuit what someone else is feeling. That is an asset. And so we want to first work with that part to, to not get rid of that, but to just turn the dial down to say like, okay, I'm going to be selective about the relationships where I'm investing that amount of attention, yeah. right? Or I'm going to go about that differently. So if I'm asking their partner, hey, are we okay? And they say, yeah, but I'm like feeling something different. I can, I need to honor that my intuitions bring that up. I feel like that's such an important point that like these things have been your superpowers, right? Because without that healing, like these are the things that have protected you and kept you safe and allowed you to survive in the world. Okay? Like that's how these, this is why you might have some of these in some ways can be both positive and negative traits, but they were survival tactics. And a lot of times those, that part of us doesn't realize we're not in survival mode anymore. That like actually the dust has settled and we can chill more. So yeah. it is shifting that dynamic and then exploring with that part. Like when did I learn? When did I start this pattern? If we're going with people pleasing, what was the origin story there? And then we want to go back and witness that from this place of adult self and see, okay, what must that have been like for me? And a lot of times we might not have a specific memory of mom said this, dad said this, or the teacher did this, or my friend did this as much as, okay, the information that I know about my childhood leads me to understand, yeah, I could have been feeling this way. And to be able to witness that from an adult perspective with compassion and with curiosity in a safe space, we're actually able to feel what was there. Because the reason something becomes a trauma is because it overwhelms our nervous system. We don't have the resources to cope with it. And so it just gets tucked away in our memory in, in the stuck sense. And so the grieving process is actually getting to that stuck place and beginning to release the energy, the emotion that's there. And so a lot of times that process of releasing is being with the memory, not necessarily in it and reliving it, but being with that memory, acknowledging the realities of what were there. And in our body knows how to do this, like emotionally connecting to what's there, a lot of somatically noticing what's happening in my body. A lot of times our body wanted to do something in that moment it couldn't do. And so some of the healing process and grieving process of releasing that energy is letting our bodies do what it couldn't do in that moment. Sometimes it can take people a bit of time to feel comfortable actually being with the emotion that's there. And so sometimes I'll encourage journaling practices or just sitting with and noticing somatically, like in the body, where do I feel that grief? If I were to name that it's in my belly, what sensation does that feel like? Can I stay with that? Because our bodies can't release what we don't feel. And so there is in this process of grief, the importance of actually getting connected to what we feel, making room for that. Because the grief situation overwhelmed us, likely because of lack of resources, it can be really important to do that grief in the support of someone else. It doesn't have to be a therapist, but it might be a community or there might be other safe friends who know I'm grieving through this thing because part of how we process through our grief is having our story and our feelings witnessed mm. and acknowledged. That's an yeah. interesting. I've never actually thought about it before. It's like 
being seen, being known, being heard. That all of that is a part of the grieving process. How do you compassion for yourself in that process? Because I feel, let's say you're 30, 35, whatever, right? And you're trying to go through this, right? I feel like the biggest kind of complaint or like anti-therapy thing that I hear is, oh, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like that shit's like old history, old news. It doesn't bother me anymore. Mm -hmm. I imagine when you're working with your clients and I was one of those clients where I was like, this is so stupid. Like, why am I looking at my 13 year old self in, in a corner? Just to give an example of something that I experienced in therapy, right, was that I had to identify like a version of myself where I felt that emotion, right? So like, 13 year old me parse out what did I look like like what was I wearing how was I feeling like actually visualize right and then talk to her and I was like this is really weird and I don't get this and it felt very not natural so how do you get people to move through that right is it mostly just like a willingness or do you feel like there's something that needs to be known about why to do that and like why it's important and I always honor if someone's telling me like, hey, it really doesn't bother me. It's not a big deal to me. I'm not going to push on that. I totally believe my clients know them the best. So even though I know someone else could be upset by that situation, if a client is really, no, that's not relevant to me, we don't touch it. But when there's this like connection to, hey, this unprocessed grief is impacting my relationships in the present or how I feel towards myself, and it's not a big deal, like talking to myself is weird. A lot of times that can be a protective part showing up, a protective part that learned when I connect to vulnerable emotions, it feels worse for me than if I just pretend like it's not a big deal, that maybe I had the experience of being shamed or punished for being effectively congruent, right? Showing my emotion. Maybe I was called dramatic or a drama queen or sent to my room to get over it. That's a really painful experience stacked on top of already a painful experience. So it could be that I have not perhaps had the chance to have loving compassion held for me regardless of the significance of the events that happened. And what we know about trauma is it's not at all about the logistics of what happened as much as how did it impact your system. And so that that is really the key piece. And we tend to think and value our cognition and our thought of like, hey, what are the facts of what I experienced? It's not as bad as what this other person experienced. So I shouldn't feel like it's a big deal. And yet our body holds a lot of wisdom and intuition that's just as valuable as our cognition. And in our processing, we have three channels. We have a cognitive thought channel. We have an emotional or affect channel, and then we have a somatic or body sensation channel. And so if I'm only being cognitive about it, I'm understanding the story and I'm helping that to process, but I'm missing two other pieces. And so likely my body is going to shift back into whatever that pain is producing. And so I would say just on a biological, like neuroscience way, this is how the body heals. But in a relational sense, I would be curious about what's so dangerous about being compassionate and believing that your pain is matter matters and was big in that experience. A question I have for you, because in my personal experience and going through this, I felt extremely lonely in this process <laughs> because I not necessarily because there weren't people around me. Right. But to challenge the beliefs of what I thought about my life 
about childhood, mm-hmm. about the experiences that I had, right, to create gray in them. Because I do feel like part of grieving is that it reorients, like, what your worldview was, right? Like, once your parent might have been on a pedestal, right? But once you start grieving, you're like, oh, my parent is human. That was actually one of the biggest lessons for me in grieving. I was like, oh, wow, my parents are not, like, holier than thou, like all knowing people, like they're human beings that had limited resources and made mistakes, quite frankly, right? Kind of two questions for you. And I'll start with the first one. My first question is, while you're grieving, and let's say it's a child, an inner child thing, it's a childhood thing, right? Does it make sense to confront your parent, sibling, friend, whoever, auntie, whatever, while you're going through this process, right? And what is your thoughts on that? Because I'm sure as like these wounds are coming up, I wonder if for some they're like, I just want to yell at my aunt for telling me I'm too dark or whatever it might be. Like, how do you deal with that and wanting to address it in the physical, like outside of the walls of like your personal practice or within therapy? Totally. I love that question. Because I think everybody has to wrestle with that, especially if they're grieving a dynamic in a relationship that's still in their life. I have to wrestle with, I'm going to maybe see this person at the next holiday where we talk often. And the decision around that is really going to be centered around what would you get or be hoping to get from that conversation? Is there something that you're needing from them in order for your own grief healing to happen? Because if you're needing them to take ownership of what they did, you can't quite promise yourself that you're going to get that. And so if you have this conversation and they blow you off or dismiss it or simply say, I don't really remember it that way. I think you're making a big deal of it or whatever. And if that response is going to be more painful, it's probably not going to be productive to your grieving process. But if it's just something that you've moved through your grieving process, which is evolving. We never get to this done point with it. But if you feel clear in your grief and it's just important to who you are to voice your experience, regardless of how they respond, sometimes for people that can be a really empowering practice to be able to say, hey, this is how I experienced that. Another caveat to this is a question about what do you want with that relationship? That when we're grieving, especially if we're grieving the effects of someone else's impact on us, we can forgive without involving them in that process. We can choose, hey, I'm going to release the emotional debt of this experience because that is congruent for me and what I want for my life. If we want to reconcile, meaning like I want to be in close relationship with this person in order to reconcile, there has to be trust that's rebuilt. And in order for trust, they have to know how they hurt me and accept ownership for their impact, even if their intent was something different. So if the goal is to be in close relationship, then that might be where we get curious about how do I have a repair conversation? But if the energy behind it is I want to tell her off and put her in her place, like we might be in an anger stage of our grief, which means that there's maybe more to be processed there. And the person who harmed us might not be the safest person to witness our pain at that point in our grief. I mean, I think it's something that I've definitely thought about a lot. And I think that there there is this tendency to want to be like, F you, like you screwed me over. You did this to me. It's all your fault. And I think something I have really grappled with, right? I have a lot of empathy for, I'll use my parents as like immigrants and like people who immigrated to a country, had resources from like the families that they had, like quite frankly, didn't have 
like their adult parents with them, right? Like my mom didn't have one thing I was reflecting on yesterday is that my mom didn't have her mom with her when she had her first baby or her second baby. Like her mom was in India. And so she had all these experiences with the limited amount of resources that she had. One thing that I've really thought about in inviting like those players into my grieving process and even in my healing process is that I don't think it's fair to place that on folks who don't have the resources to manage through that. Like in my own experience, like who take it quite literally, which like can be very hard if you don't have the tools to navigate the grief of that, right? Because our parents, our siblings, whoever you might have had that interaction that you're grieving through with have their own lens on how they see the scenario, right? So my parents Mm -hmm. think that they did the best that they can to raise us, that they raised us really well and oh, they were perfect and whatever, right? Like they did whatever they could. And I don't, I think like, It almost to me feels like not very like level playing ground. And I love your thought around there is an opportunity to repair, right? But I feel like you have to go through that process and even think through what am I going to get out of this relationship and how the relationship can change, right? Because you have identified that this might have been a wounding person and like this might have been a reoccurring thing that happens. That I think is the loneliness that I experienced because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, This is a behavior, this is a repeat behavior that I have a lot of, like a very deep gnash wound in, right? And so that Mm. distance has to be built in order to be able to move forward to truly heal, right? And that changes our relationships. Who we might have been close to might not be who we get to be close to if we truly want to move forward and heal. But something I, I feel like is very hard, definitely I think for folks who love their parents, who love their siblings, who like want the to believe the best for them, want to be in relationship with them, right? But you know, I think it's okay if the, our dynamics change as we become adults because like we're doing the best we can to protect ourselves. Do you see relationships change through the grieving process? Definitely, yeah. Because inherent in grieving is we're acknowledging the reality that was there. Maybe that I was responsible for mom and dad's emotions or managing things or getting triangulated in relationships maybe with other siblings. And if that is happening present day, it's hard to grieve the past thing when more of that grief experience is happening again. And so in having a conversation with family, it might not be that we share our grief if they're not in an emotional capacity to hold that well, but we might set a boundary and shift the dynamics of that relationship. So, yeah, dynamics can really shift a lot with grief. Sometimes people might move through their grieving process and maintain the kind of relationship that they have, but their expectations shift. And so if in childhood I wanted more from mom or dad or whoever, and I'm working to release the grief that I didn't get what I needed or wanted in that, When I can move through that grief, I can honor that and then take a look at and say, where do I want to get my needs met now? And that grieving actually allows me to see, hey, maybe they don't have capacity for that and I can find that elsewhere. So I might not have a conversation with them about it. I might not even set boundaries, but my expectation of what they can bring to relationship shifts because I've accepted the reality that's there. Elaine, as we close today, I want to ask you, like, what's fine if you don't grieve? What happens to somebody if they just go through life and never grieve anything? Mm, 
that just makes my whole body sad just for that experience because I think that there is so much more for them. I don't want to make light of the experience of grieving, but it can be amazing when you're able to be someone who can witness your story, be with you in your pain, help you to find meaning from it, transform all of the pain of that loss into love. That is such a transformational process. And so what's not fine about it is that there's a lot that's missed in that own person. There's a lot of their own connection to self and others that gets missed if the grieving process isn't moved through. Thank you for being able to break down a really difficult concept and help us walk through what it's like to grieve in a safe space like therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? I have definitely wanted to blame other people for my unprocessed emotions. Like straight up yell and scream at them for doing something awful to me that ultimately made me feel small or not enough or whatever. Unfortunately, we are living in a world where as transitions are made, people say and do the wrong thing. And there is really not a lot we can do about that. So building a grieving practice is inevitably something you have to do. After many months of getting support and learning how to grieve, I actually ended up getting a little engraved necklace that says lament. To lament means to have a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. You deserve to create space to grieve whatever it is you're feeling, what your experiences are, all of it. If you don't grieve, you will hold other people accountable for things that they likely did not have control over or they didn't understand. You need to create a practice so that you can protect yourself and move forward in your life. Otherwise, you're going to feel stuck. You will feel lost. You'll feel like you don't have control in your life. And honestly, you'll probably blame other people for the situations that you're in. Learn how to grieve. Make that a part of your life. You deserve it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me today. It means the absolute world that you would spend time listening to this podcast. Share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit from the message of not settling for fine anymore. Share it with your sister, your cousin, your friends, your mom, your dog, your partner. I don't care. I would love to get the word out about why we don't have to settle for fine anymore. I can't wait to see you again next week. Talk soon.